just I like the way you're sitting. You're not touching the table. I'm sure you've no. been noticing in the you recordings. Know why? Every time you touch it. Dude, I was just watching again, I was watching the um previous video that we put up the once upon a time mm-hmm. video. And yes, the touching, but god damn was I going after those peanut M and M's, dude. That's how I did right. not stop shut no, it's just it's a it's a me thing. I was like, I need a little bit of self control. I snap too much. I have a really, I think most people will be maybe surprised at like the size of my sweet tooth. It's kind of a problem. I need to stop eating that shit. You need to stop drinking this shit. Anyway. This is um, liquid candy. We would be remiss if we did not mention, well, in my mind, the Crosstown shootout went down. Mm. Yeah. Basketball. Oh, Cincinnati I literally thought you meant a shootout. Like. Versus Xavier. And once again, Xavier wins. Not super happy with the UC fans. Well, they do. Well, we got the game in the second half. I mean, all the way within one point. And the, the crowd was just, like, sitting on their hands. I mean, they were more excited when the when we started the run. I, should, I shouldn't say we because I, I love Xavier and UC. But... Uh, uh, yeah, just wasn't impressed with the fans. Um, not impressed with Wes Miller. Sean Miller's, in my opinion, definitely the better coach. I wasn't happy that Lotkin wasn't playing a lot in the uh, first first part of the game. And we just we have to have him in there. So I wasn't impressed with the adjusting. It seemed like he started to figure out in the second half, but also the players became more alive. But it's just, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, Xavier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys wanted the uh, the basket hoops game. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I, I should <laughs> probably do this right now. Are you ready for a big reveal? Are you going to get naked on camera? Uh-huh. Ready? Second episode? I mean, second recorded episode. Here comes the okay. big reveal. Okay. We're doing it. We're going. Right? I'm in the holiday <laughs> spirit. Come on, man. The Grinch. It's a classic. It's yeah, the dude, I've seen The Grinch. Of course you I've have. I've even seen right? the Jim yeah. Carrey Grinch. Yeah. I can't go there. Anyway. Um, so, I'm just going to start. I chose this film because I want this to become a cult classic. I want everyone to watch this uh, during the Christmas season um, I think it's that good uh, it's needed in the repertoire of Christmas films to me it's everybody's good as uh, not necessarily quite it's a wonderful life it's as good it's just different um, but I love it that much and it one of the reasons I love well I, I thought we'll, we'll talk about it but also my favorite actor of all time is in it. It's uh, Robert Mitchum. And, Who's that uh, again? What's that? Who's that again? <laughs> and we were talking. We we talked about in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and we also talked about in Sicario, real men in Hollywood. And if there isn't a dude that represents dudes, this guy is it. And I I love him for it. In real life, he's that way. And. Um, Obviously, in the film, mm-hmm. and in all his performances, he carries that 
what do you want to say? Male physique and um, well, just I, I, I wouldn't say strength. physique. You know what? I was thinking he does have the physique. Listen, listen. What are you talking about? What? I don't know. What are you talking His about? His physique is not quite your whatever linebacker, but he's <laughs> he's built. I guess. Okay. He was also shooting movies and from the early... I don't know when he started, but it was in a time period where I feel like not a lot of shirts were taken off. Well, I've those... seen him with his shirt off because I oh, love this oh, guy. Oh, um, and I'm not afraid to say it. Did oh, you just shit? We got the furnace on. That's probably not the greatest thing. I'll probably turn it off. Forget about. But he, he, you agree though? He's a manly man. Mm-hmm. Like he fits. He fits that category we were talking about. You know, like Brad Pitt, yeah. Roland, um, he, Benicio. And this is what I was thinking about in terms of, um, in terms of acting and as an actor. And it, it kind of it, it play, definitely plays into that, but it's presence. Yeah, oh, he's got absolutely presence, and it's so. I don't know. Maybe I've not I've not seen it as clearly before, but it's interesting because in this movie he's not even the lead character. I mean, he's a lead character, but he he's not in every scene. No, but he shares the lead. But yeah, no, but he shares the lead. But that's also because. I feel like it's part of his like yeah that he t- takes on screen I, presence. I do think this is a double protagonist for sure. Sure, okay. Um, and even almost almost triple, but not quite. Yeah. Well. Yeah. But, well, yeah. that guy's performance I think is uh, phenomenal too. Wendell Corey. Um, both of these guys. I, I don't want to say they got their start, but they did a lot of noir before um, they did this film. Uh, they also did uh, I can see out of the what do you want to call them westerns or the little cowboy you know episodic kind of stuff on uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the different shows, um, and this was like a first. It was a first break for both of them in playing like a dramatic kind of more I don't want to say more serious role but a different uh, role than like noir or you know westerns you know it's completely different genres. Um, but, yeah, I want this to become a cult classic. It's definitely getting more footage over time, and I thought this was perfect to do this because this will be, like, our one of our Christmas films. And um, I think the next generations need to, like, see this and hear about this film because I think it's totally relevant. The film was way ahead of its time. Do you agree with that? or In terms... Are you talking... Everything. I mean, not, not necessarily no. cinematically, but the dialogue, the taboo um, subject matter, mm. um, a female character not wanting to get married, all of it. I just think it's way ahead of its time. And uh, Robert Mitchum does for actors what you know I've, I've said about um, uh, Cagney. Um, you know he changed like you said he has a, a definite presence it's a, it's an affectation that he brings uh mm-hmm. to the film every time it's like a calm uh control um i wouldn't say subtlety i mean it is subtle because he's not like overacting he doesn't right. like 
you know, he doesn't have to scream every time he's in there. Um, he steals scenes all the time, but it's just because he's so freaking solid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, you can tell. It, well, that's what I mean. Like, and this is a good question. Do you think when we talk about actors having presence on camera, what what entails that? Do you think it's natural? As in, it just some kind of aura around that person that just kind of draws your eye in? Or do you think it's somebody who's basically just the utmost professional actor you can be? I think it's professional. And if it is aura, they bring the aura. Which means That's what it, I could mean. be, it's that, it could it's be their, that personality, it's, that person. It, but it, they've made their personality. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? I don't see an actor that we're talking about fitting in this category that, that like we're saying, menly men. Do you know his background? Do you know like... No, he, he had, really. He had a rough, a rough go of stuff. Um, he, he's got some uh, Native American uh, blood in him. And he... Uh, not that that has anything to do with rough, but I, it's part of you can see it within his uh, features. But he, uh, as a kid, got in trouble at school. He, you know, no school could necessarily contain him. He was a jokester, um, and he just wanted to do his own thing. He was on the road, on the road at age fourteen, which is amazing. So he had a lifetime before he hit twenty. Uh-huh. Um, he was on a chain gang um, because he got arrested for loitering. Uh, he's also a writer. I mean, I can just go on and on about this guy. He was also a boxer, kind of similar to Cagney. Um, but, yeah, he, uh, you know, he had a rough and tough uh, start, and he just evolved and figured it out uh, yeah. as time went on. It's, it wasn't because it is, his parents loved him and... and all that, although he did have to, they had to ship him off to his grandparents because mm-hmm. the, this school kicked him out, and then he went there, sure, and, then, sure. and then and then he just quit. He just ran off. Um, he hopped trains. It's it's kind of, I would say he's like Kerouac, but he was tougher than Kerouac. No offense to Kerouac, but like he hopped trains and went back and forth across the country, and uh, just like I said, he he lived a lifetime before he ever hit twenty. And so he brings, so getting back to what you were saying, you know, I think those actors bring, it's, I don't think personality is necessarily genetics. Of course, there's partly genetics environment, but they create, you know, through their experiences mm-hmm. and also professional professionalism. Every actor that works with him has nothing but good to say about Robert Mitchum. Most of the other actors always compliment him. He, uh, always got along with everyone um for the most part was professional you know he had slips here and there um but yeah he he did his shit it's a combination of you know building his personality his aura and then bringing that to screen and then um working the craft but Mm -hmm. you're right it's he brings a lot of himself you know into the picture pictures pictures yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. Now, I was thinking about it, and that's a very interesting point because a lot of the actors either I admire or have followed for a long time and then have like looked at their backstory. The common thread is like these are all people that have got, like gone through some shit. 
Yeah. You know, they weren't people who were like, oh, hey, I went to this prep school for theater. Then I went to college for theater. Then I, you know what I mean? They've had right. different life experiences yeah. outside of and, acting and, and, and all that stuff. And, yeah. And so, yeah, you're right. They bring those life experiences and not necessarily into every single script. That, no, that they and you, do. We, well, that's another thing about his professionalism. He changes. Like when he we watched uh, Farewell, My Lovely. Mm-hmm. He's such a different character than uh, Yakuza I'm watching right now. Um, shout out to Will Tower who um, suggests that because he knows I'm a Mitchum fan. And uh, I I suggest that was why everybody I know I tell them about this film. I I try to tell my family, my classes, everybody. I want to make this a cult um, film. You know, people talk about Die Hard for Christmas, and I just... I, I, die Hard, baby! I think that's ridiculous. But anyway, um, yeah, and uh, Will and Becca, they they were so kind to us and good and helped with the Fixate. Mm. Uh, they mm-hmm. let me use their house as one of the settings. Um, yep. Becca did a ton of artwork for, for me, and uh, she also did makeup. She was a fill-in makeup person. So I, you know... I, I was like, you guys got to check this out. Yeah, kept, you check it out. And then uh, I think he used it. He, they were in a film club over um, the COVID area. And I think sure. he loved it so much that like he used it in one of that. And it was a, it was pretty, uh, pretty cool film club. I looked at the films they were in. Nice, it's nice. Awesome. So shout out to them. Um, how do you want to? I don't know. I mean, okay, here's what I'll say about it. Um, it was a very... Neat, heartwarming. You go ahead and keep talking because I'm going to turn this furnace off because it's going to be really. Oh, okay. Not well, that, no, that's why I was very interested to see. Again, my knowledge in old cinema is not as vast as as yours. Right. So, um, I was curious to see your your reasons to why you love it so much because, like, I watched it and I'm like, okay, I mean. Well, it was it was one fun. of the main reasons it, it was, that. I love it. Didn't you think, like I said, the, you know. the taboo material at the time, you know, it was ahead of it. It, it, it. Well, it goes back to what you're saying. You haven't watched a lot of older films. And the ones that really stick out to me and probably it's part of the reason I love them is that they advanced, like, story. The writers that weren't afraid, um, you know, to not make a canned, you know, typical Hollywood film. Mm-hmm. Um didn't you find that in the dialogue? Didn't you think the dialogue was super fresh? And the whole storyline? I mean, I thought it was super, like... It was, um... Intelligent. Yes. That's very intelligent. I think that's the word for it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. Um, I mean, do you want to... Well, here's, here's how it started. Okay. Do, do you want to give the little storyline? And then I'm going to reuse something that we did in another podcast to go at it after you just said what you said okay okay um sure uh, so the story re- revolves around um i don't know the whole story but th- so there's this woman she's one connie. of the leads connie ennis or ellis ennis ennis okay i, I the, when a little boy was saying it it sounded like ellis but then it's like ennis connie ennis who is a competitive Shopper, comparative shopper, comparative shopper, and she comes across a toy store in a big, huge, I guess, 
New York mall. Right. And that's where Robert Mitchum's character worked. Steve... Mason. Mason, there we go. And he's working in the um, toy department. Toy department. And she buys a toy train. Train yes. from him. Toys, um, <clears throat> train set. The Red Rocket. The Red Rocket. And basically, it's fun. That, that train serves as like a catalyst for... Yeah, the entire relationship it, between the two. Absolutely, it's a it's kind of a metaphor, mm-hmm. um, and it's threaded all throughout the film. It's uh, it's also bookended. It's one of the things yeah. Um, yeah. to remind our writers out there and people. Bookending in film and in writing means some of the same um, what we start with and like the symbols in the beginning. They're also at the at the end of the film. Um, mm-hmm. You can think of. You know, Rosebud is one of the famous ones, but yeah, bookending films, and it's a it's a technique that I, I like. I don't think it's necessary for every film, but this is definitely threaded throughout the film, um, visually, and also you know the kid and the and the train set. Keep going. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she buys the red rocket as a uh, for her whoever her boss is, and she um, takes that home alongside another gift. And we find out she lives with her son, um, little Timothy. Yep. Little Tim. Tim Ennis. Tim the man. But but just to speed it up so that we don't spend too much <laughs> yeah, time on it. it. Um, he he winds up losing his job. He knows what she's doing. And mm-hmm. th- this is Mitchum all the way. Like immediately you see in his facial expressions and his ability. It's, it's subtle that it's not overdone. But you can see that he's looking at her like, okay, lady, come on. Like, I know, I kind of know what you're doing. And then uh, he still helps her out. He still, like, you know, takes care of her. But he knows the gig. He winds up losing his job because they're supposed to report these people. Yep. And there's also a little bit of an attraction. Like, I think he's more attracted to her and she's doing her job. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that chemistry continues as they go on. So sure. She, uh, he loses it. She takes the train for the comparison shopping that she's doing and takes it back to her house um, because she has to report it and, and give it to him. And then Tim, her son... Her son sneaks... Because this is a couple of days before Christmas. we got to establish that. And um, he sneaks... He basically waits for her to leave and to go to the kitchen and do something. And then Tim, little Tim, sneaks a peek at the present gets all super excited when he sees the train thinking it's for him uh but it's not right and he gets upset over that and and that's actually that actually happens before the firing of Richard's character she brings it back but we don't have to go into all that and then she finds out that he he got fired Mm -hmm. and then he hangs out with her he says well Mm -hmm. at the very least you should buy me you know, dinner or something like that. And, uh, that's when the, you can see the chemistry. She's definitely likes this guy. He says it like it, like it is. He lost his job for her. And then they go to the park and they start hitting it off. And she's kind of keeping this guy from her fiance. So she's engaged. Well, she's not really engaged. He's been like courting her, I guess. But he's all. I think. But don't they say fiance? Well, eventually, later on, she agrees to. 
Yeah, but so when the movie me... starts, she, they are not engaged. It's within the kind of half of the movie that she agrees to the yeah. engagement. So, But um, anyway, so um, Wendell Corey plays um, Carl, her man, or the guy Carl. that's courting her. And that's one of the parts of the storyline I love. She's not ready to get married. And that's a big part of the story as well is we find out that her husband... Yeah. Um, his de- and uh, this goes back to like Patterson and all that, that she's always got a, a picture of him. I think there's several in the house mm-hmm. and one is definitely by her bedside and he, we find out that she, he died in the war and that's a huge, like, uh, I, I don't necessarily say, want to say weight, but it's obviously a thread. It's important to her and she can't quite move on, move on from that. But it's not just that she doesn't feel chemistry with Carl. He's a super nice guy, um, and they don't cliche him. That's another reason why I love the film because he's like, you yeah. know, he's disappointed. He. So this is yeah. This isn't like a like if. Yeah, if this was like made today, he'd be like an over the top like for sure douchey character, or like pompous like lawyer who like you know what I mean. Yeah. But none of these characters are actually like assholes. No. They're all actually genuine characters who... Uh, how do I put this? They all have their own like set of problems. Yeah. And then you actually like sympathize with every one of them, even though it doesn't work out with yeah. certain ones in the end. But you're like, oh, okay. So you right. don't actually end up hating anybody. <laughs> so that's kind of the setup. So it's... Then what happens is he basically goes after her and so it's kind of like a a competition between these two and she's really stuck in the middle and doesn't know what to do because she Mm -hmm. is also like a a decent human being who's you know trouble about she carl's been there um and he is a nice guy and this guy uh, some of the descriptions in in the film called him a drifter which i just think is so not what he is like several different uh i don't know critiques of the film refer to him as a drifter and he's not he's a mitchell's character yeah right no he he does he has moved from town to town to get jobs but he just gets jobs and he's sending money back to a buddy buddy who because he's a he wants to be a shipbuilder and he knows this guy's setting up a business you know on the coast in california and so every week he or every he saves up a hundred dollars and sends it out to him so that guy can like you know Invest the invest money and, the and start yeah. start this process. So yeah, it, it, I was like, yeah, I know. It's like, it's like it's a I don't know because he you said because like, yeah, somebody he, creating their own narrative or they like the word drifter, so they want to say and they're like they're cheapening not cheapening but they're not properly describing the character. He's you know this is yeah. a solid dude who's you know got a future planned. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not. You know, his dreams and what he wants to do isn't, you know, like a normal necessary dream. And that's kind of cool, too, because we, again, have these two characters that kind of juxtapose one to the other. Carl's like the straight and narrow guy who's like real kind um, and he's a lawyer, you know, and he's established. And um, Robert Mitchum is... The, uh, the guy that's a, dr- a dreamer, but he's 
consciously working on that, um, and he does odds and end jobs right. to, to yeah. get his money. So he's yeah. not as established, but he's also he speaks the truth. He keeps mm-hmm. it real. Like that's why I also love this character. He's the one that he's like the truth sayer. Right. Um, and she, in fact, she refers to him as as some of the things he says. But here's what I'm going to do now. So we've kind of set it up, right? That's pretty uh, much done. Yeah. I'm going to go back to what I did with you and Sicario, and that is you didn't seem as impressed with this as I am. Maybe I'm putting words in your mouth. But what would you rate this film? Damn, bro. I know. It's, I know. We're not, we don't do it very often, but it's cool because it'll, I think it'll make it go quicker. Mm-hmm. What would you rate it? definitely above average it's very competently made for the time it was made but I had to rate it probably like a 7 7 wow I give it a 9 I give it a 9 so now you know what I'm going to say why is it a (laughs) 7 what is wrong with this film or does it Add up or is it? Well, it's 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 done so well. That it's you... weird because we do have a modern day bias looking back at the old. You know what I mean? Yeah, but and it's like I'm not saying the the suspension of disbelief isn't there, but it's not as strong because I, I was I actually you. watching it. I agree with and, some of that, but that's still there were so make many it... scenes where, again, it's it's not a bad thing that I was thinking about it. N- n- but I was looking at all these scenes, like the scenes in the park or in the mall, and I was just like, it was actually fascinating to sit there and think, how do they film that? Because was that a set or was that actually filmed in New York? Like, would they have big scenes They're like definitely... that? Were they actually shooting in like a park somewhere or was that a set? Because I think the park was a set. Really? I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I think it was. I don't know for sure. Should have looked this up, but... There's definitely scenes of New York yeah. throughout. Like when they're on the streets, that's definitely New York. And also they're inside of buildings and you see a window in the background. That's definitely New York. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is but so fascinating. I think that they, they needed they so that. much control. Maybe they shut off a section. We, we, we should look that up. Because it's see, interesting because, because like... When he goes to see the seals. Right. That's freaking phenomenal. Because like nowadays, I mean every city, we've evolved and constructed so much now in these fucking monolithic cities are huge so there's always a way to get around but it's interesting to think like back then if you closed off like maybe like even one street if it was just like what yeah they had to close off a section of a street but very they could get away with doing a yeah. very small section but the park they could have like just sure. you know this section you can't go past this side. so I, i'm not sure if they they did that there but you don't you felt like some of it was like a set yeah, when, yeah. When you, when you kind of can tell when what's you know a set or because there was one part where she sends Timothy to his room after an argument, and it, it's actually the first time Steve Mitchum's character meets everyone, and, and um, he like slams the door. The and, door like, is so definitely. I was covering, and then like the door and like the wall just like wobble a little bit. I'm like, yeah. oh, the damn. doors are definitely thin and weak, but um, yeah. But, and yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just my kind of modern day lens filmmaking expectations. Bias. I can see that, but I still wouldn't say that it would drop it down to a seven. And also, the performances are so strong. And you were saying 
this is what I think. I think so many actors could benefit from watching Mitchell. You know, I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, when we, we're doing a noir, and I was like, I'm doing Double Indemnity and Farewell because he's in it, and like his abilities, so many could benefit from his mix of subtlety, when to speak, his, his rhythm, his pacing, mm-hmm. when to say something, when not to, um, not to overexpress or over, he, he just, he doesn't overdo and he just sucks you in. Um, Janet Lee, who's, uh, plays the, um, Connie, Connie is, um, she, I think her performance is really, really good as well. Um, mm-hmm. there's times when, you know, she seems like she's nervous, but it's appropriate to the, um, and I was reading a bunch of stuff on that too. She was very nervous, um, about, uh, doing this film, but, um, it's what was that because of the but i don't think it matters because he's so he is the smooth character and that's who he Mm -hmm. is and that's the character he's supposed to play and she is like the the single mother who's trying to take care of stuff and she's constantly busy and and, uh, working a lot right um so it kind of fits and also then she's torn between the guy that's been there for a couple years and then this new guy that comes in that mm-hmm. she's definitely attracted to, so that fits in with that as well. But what were you going to say? Well, I have two things following that comment. But the first one is, why was she nervous? Was she nervous because of in terms of the names that were attached, or just it was a little the, bit? The, she's definitely the nature of the film and what they were, you know, what, what character she was representing. No, this is a strong woman right a female that or like had that. her shit together she was she was tough and she was every bit capable and she did stuff it's her career was she's the nubian um to this group right she, you know they've already been acting right okay so it's the several okay. years and so yeah. so it's that mm-hmm. um uh that that was the the biggest part of uh, i guess her nervousness but um keep going what what else uh what makes this a seven? Did you think any of the performances were not great? I mean, listen, as far as kid actors go, the kid actually did a fine job. There, there were moments where I could see, like... He killed it. You know? I thought he killed it. He seemed like a like a natural kid. So you're still know, sticking to... awkward. You thought some stuff was awkward. Just with the kid. It's just... Yeah... Gordon uh, Geppert is the, uh, and he, um, I don't know if you like checked in on any of this stuff, but he, he was a kid actor. And once he got of college age, he quit, he gave it up. He went into architecture, mm-hmm. which is really kind of cool. Really? Cause he, he did a lot of, he did a lot of stuff as a youth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is his best performance. Um, and there's a lot behind that too. Uh, one of the things that you probably hear from like Turner Classics, I don't know how much detail they go into, but um, he so Janet Lee was kind of uh, I don't want to say reprimanded, but um, the director Don Hartman told her uh, it's not improvisation, but the kid would make mistakes. And he's like, just go with it. Or she read the script and she's like, was kind of, kind of rigid on, you know, this is supposed to happen and then this happens. And you're working with a kid actor. 
Right. And um, credit to uh, Don Hartman. And Gebert said this, too, about him, uh, that he knew that he, he had kids. There's no way that he could be as calm and, you know, he's... he's you know, you've, you've heard a lot of shitty shit that directors did, like making kids cry, like telling them some life event in real reality happened that didn't to get them to cry. Yeah, yeah. But this guy was, he said, was really calm and cool and, and like allowed him to make mistakes and never got on him. And she was like, she wasn't in any way mean, but she would stop the takes. And he was like, no, 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 you got to keep rolling. And I'm like, this is something that. I noticed too, and it's it is a rule in film. Keep going, just keep going until the director says cut or someone says stop. Mm-hmm. Um, but actors should just go with it because a lot of times that can be some of the best material. In right, the, and there's several times. Can you could you spot several times where you can kind of tell he's it's not like a scripted thing that's happening or what the kid is doing that makes you think oh he slipped up there i think uh, yes i think i can't remember him but like i know for sure i was thinking that yeah so i looked at it like a real critical eye and he slips he definitely yeah. slipped he, he he and he giggles he tends to giggle when he would screw up a line but it seems like a kid would giggle in that moment so sure, it, did, sure. it didn't bug me but um one of the things that he did he was supposed to walk into the room and and like slowly wake up his mom and he ran in and jumped on her and so she had already been reprimanded for hey don't you don't stop the take (laughs) just go with it and he's a kid so we gotta like do this so that was one also the the there's a part where he's eating his cornflakes and he keeps dipping them she had i think she had stopped it at one point and then and um he's like no go let him let him do it just don't like we're not even gonna say anything to him and he did. He kept doing it. And it's just kind of like a normal thing that like a kid would do. And he was kind of probably nervous. Mm-hmm. And he was also upset about the trains would just fit like the script. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's yeah. also a time when, um, oh, I, I think he slipped up with Mitchum when they're in the bedroom together. He asked, can I go talk to him before I leave? Um, and, and he talks to him. And the, the kid was trying to repeat something that he had said. And he slipped it up and he, he starts laughing. Um but it was it would be a natural thing that a kid would do as well. And then also the train sets going around when the grandparents come. Yeah. And he picks up the baseball to show, hey, this is what Grandpa gave me. And he falls back into the train. Oh, I saw like, that. Yeah. Yeah. That, they yeah. just keep going with yeah. it. But but it's like the kid is cute as hell. Um, but he pulls off his lines. Were there moments when you didn't feel what you? I mean, didn't he make you feel? Didn't he like tug on your heartstrings? Yeah, actually, actually, the whole like last bit when he was returning his train, absolutely, yeah, with Mr. Right? Crowley, kills it. Doesn't yeah, he? and we'll, we'll talk about that too. So what else? What else? Like, so what would you what would you grade the acting? The acting was actually really good. Um, oh, actually, I want to talk about this scene in terms of uh, kind of. Not nuance, but the more kind of maybe a part where Mitchum and uh, what was the other actor's name? Uh, Corey. Corey. Yeah. Kind of. Wendell Corey plays Carl. It's it's not exaggerated, but it's it's maybe a little over the top. It's when again when Mitchum Steve first arrives um, at Connie's house, and they're all there, and then she leaves, and it's just the two of them. 
yes, sitting there. This very awkward moment of these like two men, like not wanting to address the elephant in the room, and they're just like t- making, trying to make small talk, and it's like uh, I forgot what, how it started, but then they're like just talking about California. No. And it's raining. I'm totally with you. It's, and it's, it's just the like, old you don't say. You don't say. So they're say. both saying, yeah. you don't say. You don't say. You don't say. And they're going back and forth. Yeah. Did you like that or did you think it was like... I, I thought it was funny. I liked it in, yeah. in terms of a good way. And, and they're, um, but they both, they're side by side. And this could be where one steals the scene and the other. Sure. You know what I mean? They try and they don't. They just like, they both feel the awkwardness. And this is why I love Mitchum because he's showing that he feels awkward He's a little embarrassed, even though it's not it's not really his fault because he didn't know. She didn't tell him. That's a really right. cool part of the story. I think it's honest, mm-hmm. right? She's attracted to this guy and she's kind of hanging out with him, but there's no reason that she has to say, you know, hey, I met this guy. But maybe she probably should because he lost his job because of her, and then he was hanging out with her the whole day, helping her do the comparison shopping. And he mentions that, right? But she didn't tell him until he. <laughs> He gets in there, and that that was really awkward too between them. But you're right; they're side by side, leaning up against the mantle, and they're talking about the olden days. Um, yeah, and it's it's just brilliant. They they both pull it off, I think, perfectly. Um, and they say, "You don't say." And he's like, "Remember how it used to snow when we were kids?" And this is interesting to me too that I was thinking about was that was a moment when. You know, we're definitely going through, like, climate change, and I think shit is fucked up. You might have a different opinion, but it's fucked up. And I definitely see changes and differences. But it's really interesting to hear somebody from the, you know, late 40s, 50s talking about it, right? They're saying the snow... Remember when it used to snow and snow for days? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And and he's like, well, now... California's not getting any water. And he's like, you don't say. And then they're going back and forth about that. And then the other thing I was thinking about was the data. The data that we talked about in... um, um, uh, Data? What are you talking about? The data. The insurance agent. um, Double indemnity. indemnity. And I never knew like that in that era they were already collecting that much data or really using that much information and i just thought it was interesting that hmm. these things that we think are new or of of this time were it's is not that new it's you know it also occurred are they reasoning it then but that that was just a side note but yeah hmm. but yeah that was one of my um favorite scenes and there's a couple of scenes between uh, Mitchum and Janet when he's like calling her out on her um, issues yes I guess of why um, and it's but then it reveals like how much of that like her unable to let go of her husband plays into both relationships not only with Steve or Mitchum but also with Corey's character yeah absolutely um and then you kind of find out, it's like, oh, she's kind of not playing them both, but... Which is really complicated. Cause she's yeah, it's not, complicated. She's not intending to fool <laughs> she's anybody. She's not, yeah. But it's a difficult situation. Yeah. She hasn't been in it before. She was in love with her husband who's dead, and now she's got this... And this is really interesting, because it's like... Remember how we were talking about where it just occurs? You have character versus character... 
Here we have three characters, mm-hmm. and she develops both of them, and they both develop her. So it's really interesting that you got those three characters that are intertwined. Usually it's two mm-hmm. that, like, you know, play off of each other. Not play off of each other, but, like, develop one another and their differences and their similarities. And uh, she definitely... And that's one of the reasons I love it, because it's complicated. And it's so often, you know, scripts are a little too formulaic isn't quite uh the the word but but a little formulaic and you wouldn't tackle this kind of subject matter i love that and that's part of what makes it fresh and part of what i think elevates it into the nine category rather than a seven you jerk but what you you want to add to that or what into what? Into what? I'm keep I'm keep beating you up for the seven. <laughs> oh my I'm god! You're to, just not gonna get over I'm, it. Are no, you? I want to know like what mm-hmm. what other issues that you had. Um, but we can keep going mm. there. Is that that's the scene where? Is that the scene where? Um, Timmy, uh, bites, <laughs> bites at um, or is that a different scene? Where Timmy gets mad at uh, Carl? No, no, no. I think it's a different scene. What ends that? How does that scene end? Um, so yeah, so they he Carl tries to um, kind of like scold Tim. Yeah, but no, I'm saying and, in that scene where the two were side by side, and you don't say, you don't say, how yeah. does that scene end? Oh, 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 Carl just says, "Do you mind if I go finish decorating my tree?" Yeah, but but this is a really cool moment too. And he goes, "No, sure, go sure. ahead." And what's and then, he do? Oh, and then he goes and sits right next to him. <laughs> he takes his jacket yeah. off and sits down. That is such a like. He's like, "I ain't, I ain't leaving, brother." Like, I, that that's kind of where, one of the places where he sticks his foot down. And is like, "I'm, I'm going into this." The classy way of like competing for a woman back then is just like, right? You don't but address then, it, but you're just like, what, how does he end up leaving in that moment? Who? Um, Steve Mason, Mitchum. After they have the drink and he's still decorating the tree. Do you recall? Um, yeah, and that's when uh, Timmy comes in. So it is the same one. It's when Timmy yeah. gets mad. And at... then he gets mad because then he t- says that Carl's getting him a camera. And because Mitchum, also, uh, Steve asks him some, some stuff about school and then I guess Christmas presents. And he's like, oh, yeah, what are you getting? What do you think you're getting for Christmas? He's like, clothes. I always get clothes. And then snaps something like Carl because he's getting him in camera. Yeah. And then they kind of scold him for it. And he gets, like, more aggravated for some reason. Well, he gets aggravated so, because he knows he saw the training. Right. So this him, is after he's seen the training. And then that it's not for him. Right. So he's still upset about that. Mm-hmm. And that is a really cool part. I love how Mitchum handled that kid. How Steve Mason, the character, the character has more chemistry with the boy. The boy likes Steve Mason better than he likes the guy that's been there for two years. Mm-hmm. And that kind of affects uh, like Carl, yeah. the other character, as well. And he gets upset about that. And they're kind of both getting upset. But... That that scene where he's sitting down and he talks to me about school and he just treats the kid. This is another thing I liked and I thought was fresh about the script was he treats the kid like not quite like an adult, but as an equal. You know what I'm saying? And that you don't usually in films, they're almost like a stock character. The kid is. Oh, here's the cute well, kid. Not and- necessarily because he does have this point of dialogue where he's like, you're he basically tells Connie that you're already 
treating him as a man? Is it like kind of like a substitute for your husband? Substitute for but not not he, man. And he says, "Let him be a kid." Let well, he says, "Let him dream." That's a big kind of difference. Well, he's no, still, no, no. He okay. Says, Let and him be. I'm not saying he's not like treating him. At, he's treating him as an equal. He's not treating him as oh, you're just a kid. And like, do you know what I mean? Like in life, there's a difference between those people. You know, I was a smart kid. I'm sure you've experienced it. Like when, if you remember back to your childhood, when people were just like, "Oh, here's the cute kid, and this is what I'm supposed to say," and blah blah. And you're just like, "Whatever, dude. Like this boring or, sure. or whatever." But <laughs> he's talking to him on the same kind of level. Mm-hmm. So that. I thought that was interesting. But yeah, you can go right into that. So I guess then we should go into what we were saying. I just wanted to mention that he treats him as an equal. And then that kid recognizes it. And Carl's a little different. Carl's a little, in a, what do I want to say? Not straight and narrow, but like a little too prim and proper. Generic. A little too adult. No, he's not a generic yeah. character. No. He, he, that is he who just, he is. That, right. that character is that person. And he doesn't have the same kind of rapport or the connection that he does that he feels mm-hmm. with Steve. So then they get upset about the. He's like, I know, already know what you're getting. You get me a, a camera. You already told me. And then his mom starts correcting him, and he starts biting back. And then uh, Carl, Carl gets mad. Well, he he kind of like picks him up to like take him to his room, and then Connie says, "Take your hands off my my son," and. Uh, yeah, he just gets upset. It. Yeah, yelling. she kind of yells Take at him. Take your hands off my kid. And, and then he's like, whoa, like, really? Keep going. And then he uh, kind of just storms out. Um, and then that's kind of leads into Mitchum then going to visit Tim in his room. And then, But then later on we find out. But you're right. So when he's in the room with Tim, that's when he starts talking to him about the dream. And the kid is emulating his mom, right? Yeah. And he's like, "That's what my teacher says." He, because he tells him, he's like, he tell he confesses. This is really cool. The kid confesses to Steve what he thought was going to happen, and he didn't get. So he tells him about the train, and then Steve says, "Well, don't don't stop dreaming." It's, you know, it's a possibility that you could get. He's like, "Aim high," and there's that cool thing where he teaches him to throw the ball. Yeah. Like, throw it above the moon and you'll hit the moon and the kid like likes that and excited but the kids also his mother and her um what is it her sorrow the grief that she has from losing her husband is kind of what has in her mind or not in her mind it just taught her or she feels that way that you can't expect everything to be the way you want it and so that's kind of she puts a little too much of that on Tim, which is meant to be in the script. I'm not saying like she's not. She treats him like you were saying more of an adult than maybe she should, and she talks to him too much about like that death. And there's even that great part where he's like, "Does it hurt to die, Mom?" Because so she's bringing too much of that grief and spending too much time like thinking about that, mm-hmm. and that she literally told the boy. Don't you know you're gonna you're gonna be disappointed if you you're always dreaming or you dream too big you're not gonna be able to get it and Mitchum Steve Mason disagrees and tells the kid right there you know and teach, and says to aim high and then that kind of like you know solidifies them more and then that's also the catalyst 
for him to say, I got to get this kid this train. Like, mm-hmm. And he decides to buy him the train. Um, did you want to add to that like scene? or was he doing it for the kid or was he trying it because he saw it as a an end with... But with, I didn't, with Connie. And they bring that up. Like, Carl says that's what he was doing. Yeah. But I don't think that's his... And, and, we, and the reason I don't is I think they established... They did a great job of establishing who this character is. Mm-hmm. Writers out there and, and uh, people, uh, script writers, etc. They established him as a guy who's, you know, mature. He's not reactive. He doesn't... He could have burned her... You know, being right. the comparison shopper, and uh, he gives her an opportunity, and then he loses his job for it. He goes to the park. He's feeding the squirrel, and he calls it his orphan. <laughs> his orphan squirrel. So we established that he's a good. He is a good dude. He's mm-hmm. like just everybody he interacts with. He, um, he's kind of kind. So I felt like when they established that, mm-hmm. that he's not doing it to win over his mom. He's really thinking about this kid and what he wants. Um, so that that's my take on it, but you might you might think differently. No, I didn't think differently, but I saw how it's a possibility for someone to kind of yeah. And he even says it. He even that. says it because Carl says that's why he bought the train um, to his girl, and then she tells she went. And this is another thing she's confessing to Mitchum Steve uh, what the other guy said, and he says, and that's that's why his character is so cool. He's like, well. Yeah, I would I would think that way too if I was if I was him. I was so him. he's so yeah. un- understanding and able to like walk in other people's shoes, and I just think that's like a great part of that character. Yeah. But yeah. but after he talks to Timmy, Timmy, we're saying Timmy now, Timmy. Um, after he talks to Tim, he goes in to her, and mm-hmm. she's in the kitchen. She's opening a can. <laughs> he swings around and kisses her, and this is cool too because. This goes back to him and Carl. These are different characters. Carl even says to her, "Let's uh, here's what we're going to do tonight, and then maybe let's neck. You know what I mean? Like he talks about what he's going to do, and this guy just swings her around and plants one on her, and this has been talked about too, but it'd be cool for everyone to, to hear again, I, I think, or for, maybe it's for the first time. She wasn't expecting him to do a real kiss. This is like totally has been written about etc she was just expecting to to like tap her on the shoulder she turns and then they do a hollywood kiss no and he freaking tapped her spun her around and plants one and you can see in that kiss she's doing the hollywood kiss and then he goes further in nope i'm kissing you and um she took it like a champ and that sounds horrible but she (laughs) talked about this she was interviewed about it and she said that he definitely she knew that he did that but she she thought it was still professional and she she was already working with him and she didn't have any issue with it it did surprise her she wasn't ready for it but she's shocked you know it's in this moment where he's bringing like something in there to shock her and then she doesn't have to act it's it's really in there and they kept it in but you can see in that kiss that she's expecting it to kind of or that she's like oh i'm not ready for this kiss and then he like keeps going um and it's, it's been written about in her biography and his it's kind of cool and then he leaves so that and again like i was saying two different characters carl talks about what we're going to do and I'll take you out to dinner and maybe we'll do this. And he's like more timid. And this guy just like 
this is what I feel. I'm going to do it. Um, then we go from there. Um, yeah. Well, I wanted to, um, it's also cool because then at one point she has dinner with Carl. And I think that's the same, the same dinner that at that point she agrees to his proposal and it happened after the Carl's whole, proposal. Carl's propo- yeah. proposal, and it happens after the whole scuffle with Timmy in front of Steve and everything. And we kind of find out why, like Carl left, like was like hurt, or insulted. Yeah, it was like it kind of stormed out. It's actually like a pretty like an, an, another reason why you find out like you kind of like don't hate him as a character. No, you don't. And know. you're like, oh, he actually like. He did that because he he too cares for Timmy, and he's like he, he and he tells her if we get married he can be one of two things he can be like your son living in my home, or he can be our son for whom I can also like love and care and discipline and all that worry about and all that kind of stuff. So it's like oh okay he's yeah no that's perfect uh, and it's important to mention that and that's uh, Wendell Corey <clears throat> his acting is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Because his affectation or what he's shown in his face is, he's also like speaking the truth to her. It's, it's what's interesting, and I'll talk a little bit about this as we go, but he's being honest. Here's another character that's being honest. Mitchum's, Steve Mason is honest the whole time, like to a, to almost like a fault. Like he's the truth sayer. He's going to like, I don't care if it smacks you upside the head, I'm going to say it. This guy is more timid and, and comes to it slowly but he's also honest he's not it's like some kind of flake or it's just like a pushover um and you said it like he's he's an honest moment where he's telling her no i was uh, i was upset at you not him mm-hmm. because you're separating us and that's what's interesting is i'll just say now <clears throat> as this story unfolds carl becomes more and more like Steve Mason. Did you notice mm. that? Yeah, I kind of did. So they start yeah. off as the juxtaposed characters yeah. that are developing one another because of their differences. And then he starts saying more and more truth. They become parallel characters, which develops him tremendously and also makes us, like you were saying, like like that character mm-hmm. and feel for him as not a stock character. That is a really interesting well, element. Yeah. In and well, you can see it because he, he he does in such a way, in such a nuanced way, where you feel like you see he feels threatened by Steve coming into the you know the fold right. with with Connie and everything. So he starts to be like more yeah he starts to open up a lot more. That being said, he does a great job again in the um, the police station scene. Yeah, and then the very final scene in the car with. No, absolutely. He becomes too very. So he here's another character that's also mature, and that's how we develop mm-hmm. him. He's he's like, and then like I said, they both. He starts being more and more honest and telling the truth more similar, and like I said, they become parallel characters. But also, his acting ability. So many times, uh, like we're we're dissecting it now, so we can say this. But when I'm watching it, I'm in that room with him. Yeah, and it's because yeah. he's like, hey. Look, I'm, this is what you need to know, and this is what I want to tell you. And it's like you feel like you're in that room with him because of his ability to act and pull it off. Mm-hmm. And what's cool is it's not cliched. No. Oh, I'm a, he doesn't get overly upset. Um, he doesn't overstate anything or raise his voice in any way that's like inappropriate. It's 
he is a uh, you know kind of a calm character, but also one capable of getting hurt, um, and, and like telling her truth. So right. right. One um, of the things that sets that scene up where the cop comes, um, Mitchum winds up at the dinner table because he got arrested, and he got arrested because he was accused of uh, clubbing some guy over the head. Yeah. Um, and then stealing his stuff just because he's hanging out in the park. And they're like, it's a vagrant in the park. We got to arrest him. And so he tells them the whole story. And then a cop shows up right when Connie says, well, you don't have to worry about that. We're not going to see him anymore. Right. And the door was in, there's a shadow of a fedora of a fedora on the door, which is we, every time we see Mitchum, he's got that hat on. And so you think, oh shit, he came back. What the hell's going on? It's a cop that's like, do you know this guy? And they're all, everybody in the room's like, oh no, is he hurt? Is there something wrong? And Tim's reaction is like, no, like he's real. And so they go down to the police station. It cuts from there to the police mm-hmm. station. Go with the police station. Oh yeah. And um, they're basically mm-hmm. telling the. Um, Join you for that beer. Oh, nice. Standing in front of the police of chief, I guess. The police of chief. Dude, I just said police of chief. <laughs> oh, fuck me. Cares. The chief of police. Holy shit, dude. Yeah, that's a crowler. Oh, my so God. We, one of the things I mean, I don't care if people think it's hokey, but I'm supporting our local breweries. We're like, well, at least one of us is a beer drinker here, but Lesserman's is one of my favorite. And we popped this top. And both you and Mike really liked it, um, but this is one of my favorite breweries in town, Lesserman's, and they. This is a killer. Uh, it's their um, Flint Flintstock um, Flintstone. No, it's Flintlock Stout. Nice. Go ahead. Keep God talking. damn, that's huge. I'm dude. gonna do the pour. It's just, it's just a crowler. Huge. It's what we share. You're gonna get some of this. Hmm. Mm-mm. All right, you're saying about the cops. Anyway, back to the cops and. The, Do you want some of this right now? Now. Nah. Okay. Wait a little bit. Uh, chief of police, and they're basically confirming or establishing an alibi, or trying to clear Mitch uh, Steve's name. And there's a great scene where they're. Um, <laughs> Carl has this great back and forth with the uh, the chief of police, and it's just it serves as a great way to like. Everybody gets like a a moment. Yeah, it's a it's kind of They're a, all sharing the scene, but every character gets a moment. Every character's in there. It's it's a, a needed relief because of all this mm-hmm. tension that's built up and what has happened. It, it, it is comedic. It is Right, yeah, for sure. So. But do you know who the actor is? Of the Chief of Police? Chief of Police. I don't. It's Harry Morgan. Um all our peeps will know. He's most famous for um uh, Colonel Potter in MASH. He was the colonel that like took oh. over the unit. So you probably recognize him. And I think this is his best role ever. I think it kills anything he's done because he is he's a jackass, like a quick, quick witted. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And he's like, I don't care if you're a lawyer. And he start like he actually treats Carl worse because he says that he's a lawyer. And then he's like, Go ahead. Like he's he's nah. like the uh and also what's great about this scene is, I was thinking about this, it's reminding us, it's reminding the audience everything that's happened because he's relaying what, right. what Steve had said and what Connie said and Connie thinks it's funny and she's laughing. Well, but, but he does it in such a way 
where it's like, oh, we've all been viewing this entire experience through the lens of these characters. So now we get to see it through like a another point of view that hasn't been involved. Right. And he's listening to all these things that's happened. And he's like, it sounds insane. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> like insane. You're all insane. But he also knows like, oh. And he, he, was, and he, he gives his faith and goes, yeah. He goes, oh, and what and what did you do about that, Carl? <laughs> because he knows that she's attracted to both, and he keeps repeating the things that they say. He's like, okay, so wait, let me get this straight. You met a guy in the park, and that was one of the funny things that kind of dates the picture. Is like, oh no, God forbid you hang out with some guy in a park. You know what I mean? Everybody's reaction to that was like, that's very serious or uh, something you shouldn't do, <laughs> and. Um, so he's repeating it, and then the the camera. This is where I think uh, Harry Morgan shows like the cinematography is perfect in that scene. It's really good. It's so good, so many times that you don't notice it, and I think that that's a good thing. Um, yeah. I've watched it so many times. Like I, you know, I've been watching this for I don't know, every year. I watch it a couple of times for over 10 years. Um, but I start to pick up things or I start to notice or I like literally, oh, okay, I'm going to watch this to see what, how does he move the camera? Or is there something here that's like unique cinematically? But he captures perfectly the point of view that we need to see. A couple times we, it's over the shoulder of uh, Mitchum to him. We don't do an over the shoulder of Carl it's either directly mm. on the police chief, police of chief, <laughs> or of chief. directly on Carl because we got to see Carl's reactions. Right. This. And Carl's like being made fun of by the cop and also seeing that somebody else now sees, oh, okay, yeah, clearly she's attracted to him. Clearly they're spending time. How would she, any questions, <laughs> uh, Morgan questions the police chief, like, really? And so... Wait, he lost his job for you, and then he goes back and he bought your kid a train, and now he's doing this. And that, and that is so funny. A great and Carl handles it like a champ. He gets pissed off. Yeah, he gets more mad at him, I think, than he does. But not he's not like he doesn't overextend himself. And he's there again. He's like trying to help uh, Steve out of the situation. Um, keep going. What else? What what else do you think about that? For me. Using those like single shots of like close-ups on Tim's face, kind of of him kind of absorbing all of this, yes. helps with the, I guess, emotional impact of like the scene after that on his little adventure when he goes to return the train that Steve got him and like why he's doing it. And that's why I was saying that Harry Morgan films that perfectly because and you brought it up uh, that was one of the things I was going to bring up is we see the, the camera's angled down and mm -hmm. so the police chief is sitting up on this desk high above like a judge which is also a funny setup. But we don't even think about it. And the kid's got like his hands on it and he's looking up and he's hearing the story and as he hears the story he starts like to, to relive the moments and he starts to feel more and more for Steve mm -hmm. and what he did. And he, and he even says, like, he spent he spent all his money on me. And he becomes the adult in the room. Because before they leave that scene, they're like, oh, okay, so um, do you got to go? 
you know, you got anywhere to go for Christmas? And they're kind of like just going to let him go back to his thing. And the kid's like, no, we can't do that. He's got no place to go. We know that he spent his last dime on me and the train. And he's like, we have to have him over. And they kind of end that scene with them talking and the kid pleading. And they walk away without necessarily showing on their faces that they agree. And then we go back Cut to, to the scene where they're all sitting at the dinner, which is wonderful. Because, you know, and it's a testament to um, this director. And what sucks is this was not a box office hit. It did not hit it off. And I think there's several reasons for that. And it kind of hurt this dude's uh, career. He didn't do a lot, a ton of stuff after that. Um, he what he started as a scriptwriter. The director did, which you can kind of see in like his abilities and how he sets things up, and even their marks and how he films them. And uh, another thing is that kids that he caught the kid in his expression. He knows exactly when to show what character. And then one of the other things that he does that's brilliant in this film is when um, Tim is taking the train back. That camera, did you notice? It's down at the kid's level. So we're so we're feeling what that kid is feeling oh, yeah. more yeah, because yeah, yeah, the yeah. camera's down here. And some people would say, well, of course it is. But but no, it's literally down, not quite over his shoulder, but it could have been filmed like in a different angle. Yeah. And so you see his perspective when he's in the, in the, elevator, the elevator, et cetera. Um, but yeah, go. The train, and then he has another great moment um, with Crowley. Who is, I guess, the like the head of Macy's, head of the Macy's or something like it's that? It's not Macy's, but it's like, um, and then that's like he has again a mature, like not 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 he has a mature moment where he like comes clean and honest with. Yeah, again, and so Crowley. this honesty thing is a thread that goes through and. Uh, Steve Mason, Mitchum's character, is infectious to all these people because he just says it like it is, and then, yeah. uh, and but yeah, the mom also true. tells him you got to be honest, and she lets him get away with some fibs. But you're right, that is such a great point. But before that, I just I wanted to say, so this little kid's walking around the department store without a parent, yeah. and he made this decision himself to bring the train back to get them because he can't stand it. He's like, um, and even he says. They ask him why why you, you did this, and he goes, "I just can't stand that. Like I, the train's no fun. It's not any fun anymore because I know that he spent his last time, and here's this guy. It's just wonderful. And so he's wandering around the mm. department store trying to find the head that he can get the money back. And he gets in the elevator, and the people are pushing him around. And again, the camera's down by him, and he drops, or somebody knocks part of the train out, and then they, this lady steps on it. So now it's broke, and now he's upset. And then he goes in, and the like the uh, secretary of the the head of the whole whatever mm-hmm. sees. Oh, this is a kid in turmoil. Like he'll he'll take this. He'll take this kid. There's a wonderful moment before then, like two two uh, uh, not office workers, but people that work at the department store. Two women are talking. It reminded me of Mad Men. It reminded me of The Apartment, which is a film we're definitely going to do. <laughs> it's it's my another favorite holiday film, um, but you can watch The Apartment anytime. But they're like, they're kind of criticizing somebody else in the department and saying, yeah, right, like you're going to get something out of that guy, like the head of the apartment, which is I think was cool. And then he goes in, he gets the meeting with the guy that, that can do it, and you, you said it. Yeah, you set it up perfectly. He 
he's fibbed to everybody else about the train, saying that he got one from a friend. He mm-hmm. got one from his parents, but he also got from a friend, which he thinks he needs that excuse to get the train back. And now he's just, everything's weighing on him. And he tells the guy, he goes, I'm going to be honest with you. And he tells him, and he says, I didn't break the train, but, you know, um, I only have one. I, I, he didn't say I told everybody else, but he tells us. And, and the guy's cool. Like, that guy. One of the cool things. Surprisingly. Too. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And I, that, But I love that. that. That's part of the, like, Christmas movie aspect. The yeah. The joy of the Christmas. Yeah. You know, it affects everybody. And everybody has that, that spirit of giving and... What was one of the things that was cool is when his secretary comes in and says, "Oh, you guys, it's Mr. Ennis," and then she tells him he's six years old. And he's like, "Well, bring the customer in," and then he's preparing himself yep, to yep. meet the customer, and he, he reaches for cigar. a cigar, and, he, and then he, he realized, "Oh, it's a six-year-old." Yeah. So he's trying to beef himself up. He goes, "Oh, I don't have to beef myself." He puts the yeah. cigar back. That was so friggin' cool. So now, y'all can see. Who, like, what does she do from here and, and what happens from here? Because she is feeling for both these people. She has committed to Carl. Um, and he sends her, we can say he sends her a, a telegram that says, I'm on my way back to California because he's going to, like, really go for the dream now. He's been sending the money back. Now I'm going back there. I can get jobs there. And I'm going to do this boat thing. Um, and he sends her the telegram that she's doing it. Um. Yeah, I don't think we like. No. We don't need to say anything else, do yeah. we? we? I think we can say this though. It, it it starts with that very that technique that you were talking about earlier, the book ending. Yes, I think that was a clever. Oh, it was great, cool wasn't little, it? Yeah. Yeah. So in the beginning, we see a toy train. Like it, it, it's set up like you don't know quite sure. Like we kind of know it's a model, but we don't know for sure it's a close up. And then it pulled the camera pulls back, and we see that's Steve at the toy store and the kids. And in the ending scene, we see Steve on a train, and we go back to that model. We're not going to say how or what happens, okay. um, because the last thing that we're telling the audience is he sent her a telegram. She did split up. Well, we're not even going to say that. She had that moment with Carl, and they had a very real moment, so she's trying to decide if they're going to work things out. Um, like, we'll leave it there. I do think we should talk about the thread of... Um, Two, two different threads that we didn't talk about. We, we did a good job of the training. Um, one is um, that she keeps calling him a fortune teller. And, oh, what does that little crystal ball tell you? At first she says it kindly and she's attracted to it. And then he even calls her out and says, oh, you used to like it. Like, what happened? Because I would tell you the truth and you, you like, enjoyed it. So now all of a sudden you don't. Yeah. And that is also embedded in the writing because it's that whole thing of honesty and that sometimes the truth hurts. Yeah. Like it's not easy to take. But that doesn't mean, and this is what everybody in the world should like, I feel like, understand or think about or take a moment, is just because truth hurts, we all need time to like kind of like figure it out. Yeah. And and like and but we also need those kind like moments. I don't know if I said this in the thing. I know I've said it to you before. My definition of a friend is someone that will tell you the truth as many times that will um, tell you when you're fucking up, um, will be there 
when you're fucking up and help you like pick up the pieces after but it kind of fits that like whatever category but that those that, that kind of honesty and how it takes people time to know what they what do I got to do or what you know what I mean how do I deal with this situation like it, yeah. not everything has to be figured out and like it's a kindness to, Carl offers it to her to give give her time to to, to like figure out what she's got to do and she's got to figure it out and there's nothing wrong with that like there's nothing wrong with not necessarily knowing every single thing or how you should react or what you should do etc but I just thought that was cool how they weaved that in there how she used to like it and then she doesn't like it and then he's telling her he says the reason you don't like it is because now you have to decide and it is an attraction he doesn't say you have to decide but it's like an attraction thing and the truth does hurt at times right Mm -hmm. and that little boy seems to like deal with it quicker and better than like some of the the adults around him, with the exception of Carl, who again becomes more and more parallel. So we it's like opposites, and then as it continues, <laughs> they become like parallel characters and understanding. The only other thread I was going to talk about that I think is really, it's not super important, but it's really cool. It's the loud ties. Oh, do you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. whole thing. <laughs> We're not going to tell the audience everything. Ah, yeah, but. There, that is a great thread that she so she previously bought loud ties for her deceased, ex-husband yeah. Yeah. deceased husband not deceased ex-husband husband. and then she bought one for Carl who didn't necessarily whatever and she winds up giving the loud tie to Steve to Steve who says I've always liked loud ties and he's like the difference and then she sees that that's part of the attraction she, and but the the gift was meant for Carl and Carl. It went to Steve and this is before all the things that we've already talked about and one of the things that I noticed was when he's in the the hilarious courtroom or the police chief scene is they show a shot of him in the with the loud oh, tie yeah. and the cop the the kind of cheap cop with a loose suit is also got a loud tie that's like right next to him that's just brilliant. Did you notice that? Like, that the cop already had it? No, I actually didn't know it said on the cop. It's really funny. That's interesting. Yeah, you'll have to, like, check it out if you watch this again. So, talking about all this, why do you still feel seven? Can you describe why it's more seven than Blaze's nine or... Mm. I think I can bump it up to eight. I think I can change my... (laughs) I'm persuading you. Yeah, it's actually pretty fucking solid. Especially for um, hour and a half runtime, it does all that. Like, yeah, for that's, sure. That's the thing. There is no. Doesn't it feel more like a like forty minutes yeah. or something? It's like it's tight. There is no like pointless dialogue. No, there's you know not. I mean? Which might be part of what you were saying. There's not needless dialogue. It's tight. Like I just said, maybe it's a little too tight. Maybe that was part of your, like, mm, no, no, I don't know no. if I'm giving you an out, but, I mean, I think it works, but. No, it works. It works. Oh, what do you think? Oh, because, okay, so this is actually a good question I, I came up with. Why do you think they titled it a Holiday Affair? Okay, this is good. Um, 
Originally, this was a uh, kind of novella or a very long story. And originally, it was called The Christmas Gift, which mm. I kind of like better. I think, and this is why I think, I think Howard Hughes fucked up a lot of things with this. One is they released it like shortly before Christmas. Who the, like back in the day, I mean, I know today a lot of people go to films on Christmas, mm -hmm. but you're limiting this. It's a holiday film. Yeah. They release it right before Christmas, Christmas Eve, I think. Oh, jeez. And the runtime's only going to be like a little bit past New Year's. Nobody, like everybody's so busy then. I think he screwed himself by this in part. I think it also might have been a little too taboo. I think that the, calling it Holiday Affair, I kind of get it, but I, I actually like the um, Christmas gift better because well, that ties yeah, in with the train. Like, would you call it? Would you call it an affair? You know what I mean? Like so here, but then here's the thing. Here's the thing. I thought about it. And I'm like, it's okay, good. let's delve into the English language. What does affair actually mean? Well, and in part, is she not like? She's definitely extending herself. Right. It's she like a definitely enjoying double... time with this guy. She definitely kept it from Carl, which is, it's still, this is what I love. <clears throat> it's complicated. It's innocent. She's not, well, we do see her like worried because she knows that the comparison shopping gifts, like they got separated and she's worried that like, oh, is he going to call or what's going to happen? Is mm -hmm. Carl going to find out? So that's the only thing where she's kind of like fibbing or like not being completely honest. But, you know, I mean, come on. It's like our human experience. Like, it's not her fault that, you know, maybe she is more attracted to this guy. Um, and that, like, maybe it's more what she needs than what Carl could give. But, so there's a little bit of an affair because she's definitely, she gives him affection. Yeah. And, and shout out to, to uh, Janet Lee's acting because... She definitely shows like the chemistry, her smile, like I don't well, know about you, but I was like Yeah. She's pretty she's beautiful, yeah. Very beautiful. Um no I was thinking of this though, because yeah, there's the, that one definition of affair is that. But also I feel like affair also doesn't it mean like if you have an affair going on, it's like you have events. You have an event going yeah, on. Yeah, it's a situation. So it's a, situ it's a situation. Oh, yeah. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if they actually meant to play with like the definitions of that word. Yeah, I, I think it was Howard or Hughes putting his thumbprint <laughs> on there, and like, hey, let's let's uh, race this up. Let's make it a little more exciting. That, mm -hmm. That's kind of my feel. Mm -hmm. And then also, I can kind of back this up with a little bit of evidence. The movie posters. The movie posters were kind of ridiculous. What they did was, they they some of the posters presented as a noir, which everybody knew Mitchum for the noirs, you know, like what we had spoken about. So they were trying to attract that audience, and some of them made like ridiculous shots of her legs showing all the way up. She's wearing shorts in some of them. So he was going for. I think this was definitely the decision to how we use. I don't have pure evidence of that but somebody made the decision to do that um so i and i know he had he had final say in everything that happened so he definitely decided this is what the title will be and then those posters of noir you know sex bomb and and etc it, it probably hurt 
that hurt the film too because it confused audiences that were maybe going and thinking as a northerner like what the hell is this but I would still think if they went, went, but I think it was the timing of when they released it, et cetera, more than anything else. So I think Affair was like a hook that was like maybe over the top. I do like Christmas Gift better because if you think about all the like meanings um, and levels of a gift versus an affair, mm-hmm. yeah. And like you said, affairs missed. It's a little too misleading, even though it is a situation. It has a bit of a negative connotation <clears throat> to it, yeah. and it doesn't has nothing negative in it. And what, that's what I was wondering is if it was a combination. I definitely think the release of it was poorly timed. The confusing audiences with that, but that happens in a lot of films still today. Like you know how they present films like Fast Times at Ridgemont High and um, Super Bad. The way they they present those films as the party film, and there's a lot of serious, great content in there. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll have to talk about that sometime. But um, I kind of think ha- used kind of screwed that element of it up, and I, I just like that Christmas gift better because it's obviously the train is the main thread, but a gift of people being honest, um, kind to one another, and like given the space to figure it out. Um, but I was wondering if one of the points I was getting to, and I had spoken about before is, is this, uh, was this too much for the audience? And I don't want to say, I don't want to like think this, but in the early fifties, late forties to handle, do you mean they weren't necessarily used to like a serious, um, movie that's, you know, talking about situations that we have to deal with in life. Maybe they weren't ready for it. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? And maybe they didn't like that a woman wasn't like... But I think that's just me no, putting I don't my, know. my ideas of history. Maybe. that's bullshit. I mean, people were humans back then. Yeah. I mean, and for somebody to write it, they had to know it and feel it and think mm-hmm. it. It's real situations. Yeah. I'd have to probably disagree with that. What would you call it? What, the movie? Would you call it Holiday Affair, Christmas Gift, something else? Uh, maybe something else. I don't know what... I haven't thought about what, what I would call it, but... Yeah, Affair just like... Like it puts like a socially negative connotation to it. So I was like, uh, I don't know if it's... Yeah. If it's that appropriate for it and if word got out and like they were insinuating that it wasn't a fair who wants to see that christmas right, right. you're spending christmas. time with your family <laughs> like but i don't care like it's the movie history it's part of like history so it's kind of interesting it kind of adds to the you know interest in in the uh in the film anyway let's make this a cult classic everybody Go see it. Um, you, Ray is now thinks it's an eight. I say it's a nine all the way. It's probably a little higher than that. It, it, as far as holiday or Christmas films, I think it's in the ten range. Um, really? Yeah. If you compare it to everything else, but like, it's just so different and so like. But technically, it the only thing that it deals with in terms of Christmas is the gift of the train. It does it? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like. You're right, but 
you know, what the fuck does Die Hard have to do with, you know, I'm just, I'm just saying that. But, die Hard um, doesn't have to explain itself yeah, to you. I, you're right, but the train is enmeshed, to me, enmeshed with holidays, kind of the loss of her husband in the holidays, and even the mother-in-law says, you know, oh, the holidays make me remember, remember, yeah. and yeah. that was kind of cool. Um, you know, and a kid, a kid, you know, we all wanted a train every Kid, nerd. Every kid wanted a train. Nerd, really? Is that nerdy? You and your toy trains. What? No, I don't know if it is. I love it. I'm sure it was the shit back then. Yeah. But like, as I don't remember if I ever, I never wanted like any kind of like vehicular presence. Dude, I I bought one like a decade ago. Seriously, I I should set it up. Yeah, because I like them that much. No, I I freaking yeah. Listen to you, geologists. But that's another thing that I think all <laughs> kids want to like play with rocks and dinosaurs and shit like that. But yeah. Oh, and also, oh, so Mitchum Films. Um, you have to see, I think, Dead Man, which goes back to Jim Jarmusch. Jim Jarmusch did it and had him in towards the end of uh, his career. Night of the Hunter is a must-see. If you all like this... It's so completely different. He plays um, kind of a killer roaming, roaming around, and he has uh, nefarious, like like horrible intentions, and he kills it. It's so mm. like scary, um, but yeah, those are some and Yakuza, I, Yakuza, said, yeah, Yakuza, and also our, you know, he did. Look at his old noirs. Look at the newer one that we saw was um, Farewell, My Lovely. Farewell, My Lovely. Yeah. Check him out. Nice. Nice. All right, dude. Right on, bro. Yes. We're out. We out. Cheers. (laughs) It's a fucking thing, dude. I can't believe you've never seen a car. You're not a beard (laughs) or